1: Up next on The Exchange, a conversation with Brookings Institution economist Wendy Edelberg about consumer spending behavior during economic downturns. Welcome back to The Exchange, a weekly conversation about issues of interest for business and financial professionals around the world. I'm Jennifer Saba, a New York-based columnist with Breaking Views, the financial commentary arm of Reuters News. This week, I'm talking to Wendy Edelberg, the Director of the Hamilton Project and a Senior Fellow in Economic Studies at the Brookings Institution. Wendy is well-versed in consumer behavior. She served as the Chief Economist of the Congressional Budget Office and was the executive director of the Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission. Before that, she worked on issues related to consumer spending, housing, and other macroeconomic issues at the President's Council of Economic Advisors during two administrations. Wendy dialed in from Washington, D.C., where we discussed the state of the consumer and the last thing people cut during a crisis, conflicting signs in the economy, the job market, and more. Wendy, welcome. It's very nice to be here. I want to start off with a bit of news. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, is warning consumers to put off spending on big ticket items like cars and televisions in order to keep some dry powder during an economic slump. So, what do you make of the man who has made billions selling everything to people to stop and save during these times? So, I'm not
2: sure that consumers need his advice on this front uh, because consumers have been adjusting their spending in response to economic booms and busts for a long time without his input. And indeed, you know, he's right that when the economy turns down what usually happens, is that consumers pull back on big durables purchases, big dur, yeah. you know, goods purchases, anything you can hold in your hand or put in your put in the driveway? That is usually where we see people pull back because makes perfect sense. If you're a little worried that you might lose your job, if you're a little worried that you're not going to get all of the hours that that you're used to getting, then it's it's reasonable to say you know what let's let's you know fix that rubber band you know part of the washing machine just so to make it work for two more weeks until i really find out whether or not i'm going to get uh the hours on my schedule that i'm used to getting and so people stretch out uh these big durable goods um you know long past their uh you know useful lives in in hopes of you know being able to put the, the, the spending off to when there's better times what's interesting about that is that that's exactly what did not happen in 2020 so 2020 yeah. was an incredibly unusual recession it it's true that initially spending of all kinds spending on services spending on goods just plummeted shockingly so but then as soon as, um, you know, people kind of picked their heads up within a couple of months of the pandemic starting, spending really rebounded, and it rebounded in goods. Uh, goods spending just was, you know, extraordinary highs through a lot of 2020 and basically all of 2021. In some months, it was 10%, 15% above trend. Whereas services, which are typically very immune to economic downturns spending on services fell dramatically and stayed low and in fact is still below pre-pandemic trends so just for that reason alone i expect good spending to be soft going forward because uh i think consumers are just fully sated in instant pot and frankly even automobiles and yoga mats and even clothes, um, though certain kinds of clothes and not others. But then layer on top of that, the economy softening um, and possibly even a mild recession. And I would expect you'd get the normal uh, the normal trends in spending that we usually see in recessions, which is basically people pulling back on their good spending, but this time even, even more so uh because of the because of the surge in 2020 and 2021.
1: Yeah, I mean let's talk a little more about sort of how odd the the times are right now. And it seems like there are a lot of contradicting indicators, right? So the savings rate I think is is declining, which is what I guess you would expect. But I, I've seen estimates where people still have excess savings and I think it was somewhere in the ballpark of 1.7 trillion, right? So you have like bank accounts that have a lot of money in it, but they're not you know people aren't actively putting more money into it, right? But then we have high, high inflation. So I mean, like can you talk about the unique aspect of kind of where we're living right now and kind of how that translates into, I mean, what you're saying is like pulling back on the good on goods because people were sated. but can you can you kind of draw that out a little more in terms of like you know, you know what does that mean in this time?
2: Household balance sheets are remarkably strong. I say remarkably, given the crazy economic circumstances that we've all just lived through over the past couple of years, and that is in large part because of the the great good that fiscal support has done. Uh, so household balance sheets are, uh, you know, were were um, improved by all of the fiscal support. But I think actually it pales in comparison to the increases in household wealth from what happened to house prices and what happened to the stock market. So all told, uh, households in aggregate are much, much wealthier now than they were in 2019. Um, now, a lot of that wealth is being held by higher income people uh, who you know, weren't particularly illiquid before, they can basically um, you know, they had enough money to to spend for their everyday needs um, in 2019, and they just, uh, you know, are better better financially situated now. But the same is actually true for, I think, where, you know, what we've been calling XX savings, where that's being held. I think that is now, for the most part, flowed into people's bank accounts who are higher income, less likely to... Uh, you know, spend the money as it comes in the door and and need to spend it uh, you know right away on necessities. So I think generally speaking in aggregate, households are doing quite well. Um, you know one one place that we can see this is that delinquency rates on credit card uh, balances are at historical lows, mm-hmm. which is which is you know it's, it's just a testament to, to how successful the fiscal policy was uh, over the past few years. And um, it, it makes me more optimistic about how at least in aggregate households are going to be able to uh, absorb the economic changes that are coming over the next few quarters.
1: Can we go back to to what you were talking about in terms of a softening of goods, right? Like everybody in the pandemic was buying stuff because you couldn't do anything else. You couldn't go out, you couldn't travel. So when you say softening of goods, I mean, goods is a huge bucket, right? Like, so what what, do you see certain categories or certain types of things that are are just really gonna be harder going forward? Yeah, so
2: there are a couple of different categories worth looking at. One of the most obvious ones is all of the things that we needed to buy to outfit our home offices. Uh, So consumers, you know, had to go out and buy computers and desks and, you know, otherwise outfit a workspace, you know, and chairs. Um, A lot of those purchases are now, of course, behind us. So uh, that's a place where I expect less spending going forward. Despite the fact that we had the enormous supply constraints in the production of automobiles and, you know, getting automobiles onto lots, in real terms, like for the amount of real automobile, real automobiles that we bought, actually for consumers went way up. Um, we might have been buying fewer cars, but we were buying more expensive cars. We hmm. bought more, more car more car and more car. And I expect as interest rates rise, you know, as a lot of that spending proves to have been pulled forward into 2020 and 2021 and out of future years, I expect consumer spending on automobiles to soften. Now the business sectors, that's a whole nother a whole nother issue. But I think it's it's also true for recreation goods. Uh, we, you know, we stopped going to the gym. And we put home exercise equipment in our homes. We put a lot more recreation equipment in our homes. Um, and these are the kinds of spending that I think I mean, I see it in the data. We are doing less of it now. It's necessary because we were we were demanding goods well in excess of what our economy was was able to supply. Um, I mean, I think even without the pandemic, we would have seen. A big run-up in prices in the goods sector. It was like we were expecting the goods sector to, to supply, you know Christmas level demand day in and day out, mm. month after month after month after month. So a softening in the sector is a good thing. And indeed, we are seeing this weakening in demand for goods show up as weaker prices. You know, in the last month's data, we actually saw goods prices outright fall which is a very good thing for inflation and not unusual, you know, from the year 2000 to 2020, in half the periods, goods prices outright fell. Uh, goods producers are and goods sellers are very used to marking down prices. So this is a place where uh, if, if monetary policy has a hope of slowing the economy in a way that slows inflation, this is a sector where I expect to see outright price declines.
1: So okay can, can we talk to a little bit about like you know when people want to batten down the hatches right and it feels again it, there are a lot of conflicting things out there but it it feels kind of gloomy at the moment and um i guess my question you know you, you see a lot of tech layoffs you, see, you know you're you're seeing all this kind of stuff and and so if you're a consumer and i don't know if you've noticed a pattern you know as you've studied this Is there something that consumers are loath to cut? Like, what what is the last thing? I mean, like, aside from the essentials, like food and groceries, you know, and like that kind of Uh. stuff. What do you, is there one thing or one category that you can point to that you're like, this is safe until like once this, once people start cutting this, we're in trouble? So
2: so the first thing I'd say is I appreciate that the world feels gloomy, and I think part of the reason that the world feels gloomy is that it feels very uncertain. The actual state of the economy right now is pretty darn good. So the unemployment rate is below four. Job openings are at a blistering high rate. This is a fantastic time for people to go out and change jobs, get a better job, improve their, you know, Im- improve their livelihoods. And uh, and in fact, I think one of the big drivers behind the wage gains we've seen, appreciating that wages have not kept up with, with inflation, but I think one of the big drivers of wage gains is that we've seen is that people are moving from job to job. Mm -hmm. which is hard for employers because churn is difficult. But this is usually where we see wage increases as people move to a different job that is a better, more productive match. So there are lots of ways in which this economy is doing really well. But I do think the economy is operating above its sustainable level. Uh, I think that the labor market is, is a case in point of this, and that employers' demand for workers is just an excess of the number of workers That are willing you know that are out there looking for jobs yeah Um, i
1: mean actually let me let me stop you on that point and, and interrupt here because this is something that i i was hoping maybe you could kind of get a little further into but so we have like what roughly 10 million job openings in the united states right but at the same time we see that there are signs the job market is slowing right so why is that like and and how quickly could those job openings come down to, to, to levels that you, we kind of want to see it or, or do we like how how? I mean you kind of mentioned earlier on that we're kind of on this unsustainable trajectory so can you
2: talk a little bit about that in the
1: job market
2: yeah so job openings has been very high hiring has also been very high and so perhaps it's not so surprising that job openings has been so high because this is the way that when when firms want to to hire you know Millions of people in, in, in a given month, they need to have many million more uh, job openings. Uh, so in some ways, the, the normal historical relationships have been working. Firms want to hire a lot of people. They need a lot of job openings to do that. And then lo and behold, they are hiring a lot of people. Um, we do, though, have evidence that this rate of hiring can't keep going. It is indeed not sustainable. We can see that in uh, very high quit rates. We can see that in what's happening with wage pressure. We can see that with just an unlimited number of anecdotal reports of firms saying that they're having trouble keeping workers or finding workers. Uh, And the reason for that, I think at a very high level, the reason for that is that Consumer demand recovered to trend. The amount that we all want to spend on goods and services recovered back to trend. But labor supply is nowhere near back to what, we, what I would have expected in the absence of the pandemic. We are, you know, per, as much as two million short of the number of workers that I would have expected we would have if we hadn't had a pandemic. And, and why
1: is that? I mean, is that like an immigration thing? Is that a, is it expansion? Like, how, how, do, how do we think about that?
2: Yeah, so it's a couple of different reasons. And um, it's hard to, to, to really tease them all apart. And there's going to be a lot of research on this for many years to come. But part of it is certainly because of immigration. Um, part of it is quite tragically because people died who would have otherwise been in the labor force. Uh, Died because of COVID. Um, A much larger part of it is because people ages 55 and older are participating in the labor force at a much lower rate than they were prior to the pandemic. Uh, the, the The trends are just quite startling, where you see labor force participation for people 55 and older tootling along before the pandemic, even increasing, and then with the pandemic. 55 year and older people like everybody else left the labor force but the 55 and olders didn't come back Hmm. in great numbers and you know there's a there's ongoing research as people try to figure out why certainly some of it is because of long COVID, um but i think a lot of it is because people have decided to retire early all told we have a smaller labor force and you can't you can't make as much stuff as people want you know you can't you can't go back to pre-pandemic trends for demand without going if you haven't gone back to pre-pandemic trends for supply hmm. and so just at a very high level we have more labor demand than we are willing to supply and so the economy simply has to slow uh, to get things back into balance? What what kinds of demand are resilient no matter what? Yeah. To really do like, yeah. I, so I think I have an answer. So I would have said, you know, before the pandemic, I would have said, well, of course, services. You gotta get your hair cut. People always go to the doctor. Um, so, you know, the pandemic proved me wrong on that front. It turns out we all can cut our own hair and we all can postpone going to the doctor. So there are a lot fewer categories that I think uh, are, you know, completely immune to uh, economic, you know, constraints or 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 you know, being buffeted by other kinds of winds. It would seem, um, alcohol consumption, I would say, is utterly and completely resilient to no matter what's happening in the economy. Okay. So so, or-
1: so yeah. So that so so no matter what's happening.
2: People People are always
1: going to buy. Yeah, people are going to drink. People are going to drink. I also want to kind of bring up a point about, you know, some of the large retailers in the country like Walmart and Target. And you've seen a lot of companies that are built to effectively figure out what the consumer is going to do next. Right. Because they 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 know how to manage their supply chain. They know how many goods they need. They know how many Christmas trees to stock. All of that seemed to be completely upended during the pandemic, but it it continues to be upended. I mean, we're we're still seeing the effects of that, and it's like these are the retailer's job to know this. and And so, what has happened? Like, where where has the consumer? I mean, because they they seem completely just confused by consumer behavior. Yes,
2: you know, in uh the WalMarts and Targets of the world, and basically anybody who was selling goods to consumers was you know caught without inventory in 2020 and in 2021. We all experienced a lot of bare shelves. And if you're you know an automobile seller, if you're a target, if you're a grocery store uh or an appliance store and you have customers who want to buy your stuff and you've got bare shelves or bare lots you're losing money. And uh, I, was, I was imagining that every, every purchaser for every firm in the United States was probably saying to themselves, this will never happen to me again. I will never be caught short of in- inventory again. And uh, lo and behold, inventory to sales ratios are very high right now. I mean, it's not surprising that they didn't time the the pivot of consumer spending perfectly right, uh, and that consumers started to pull back on goods earlier than all of this inventory management, mm-hmm. you know, predicted that they would. I mean, it's not it's not terribly surprising, but I think firm, you know, these purchasing managers at firms probably are going to have are are have been emotionally affected by inventory shortages. Uh, in 2020 and 2021. And so right now you're seeing very high inventory to sales ratios. I think it's one of the reasons why you're seeing uh, price declines. It's surely the reason you're seeing price declines. But going forward, even after all of this shakes out, and this is, you know, long in the rear view mirror, my guess is that inventory to sales ratios stay higher for a long time. My guess is that firms are going to be affected by this for a very long time and very reluctant to trust supply chains to get them what they need just in time when they need it.
1: Oh that's interesting. So you think that they're going to continue to overbuy then versus well not over well maybe overbuy yeah. is the way you put it then then to pull back because it's better to have I mean actually this is this is an interesting question. Is it better to have a bunch of inventory that you've got to do something with, or is it better to have nothing? I mean, or to have the demand for the, for the products? Do you, do you see what I'm I saying?
2: I mean, uh, so you know, if you have too much, you have to store
1: it. Yeah, you know, and you
2: have to worry that. I mean, I'm. This is not my area of expertise by any stretch, but. If you have too much stuff, you have to figure out how to store it. You have to figure out, you know, to whether or not you want to mark it down, whether or not anybody actually even wants to buy this thing anymore. But um, I suspect that feels a lot less painful just emotionally than a consumer standing there with his credit card, desperately wanting to buy your good and you simply not having one to sell. Mm -hmm. Like that, that. You know, and I feel bad for the automobile manufacturers because in the United States, because they didn't have all of the all of the inventory to sell. And now just as supply chains seem to be sort of fixing themselves on that front with semiconductors, you know, it makes perfect sense. They're jumping up and down saying to the Federal Reserve, no, 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 don't tighten, don't tighten, keep it going. Keep the excess demand going. Keep consumers awash in cash, because now we have cars to sell them. Um, So, you know, they kind of they kind of they they missed their moment and they missed a lot of they missed a lot of profits that could have been made.
1: So I I also want to flip the question that I asked you earlier about what people hang on to like and, and down downturns um what what are the first things that you see that people cut and, and this might be an example I mean just kind of a, a loose example hypothetical example but like people if their washing machine breaks um they will spend the money even though it's it's expensive to fix the washing machine but if their dishwasher breaks they can do without it for a while is there any sort of like like where, where do you see people cutting First, cutting thing, cutting back on things when, when, when you know there's an economic slump or when there's concern about household finances. So that's that's an
2: interesting question. I think some of the most cyclically sensitive uh, areas are purchases of new automobiles. You see that. I mean, it's incredibly sensitive to the business cycle. The second there's a downturn, uh, you generally see new automobile purchases plummet. Um, and if you desperately need to, if 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 your car breaks down, the first thing you'll try to figure out is if you can repair the car, and the second thing is that you'll figure out is if you can you can buy a, a used car. I mean, when when economic conditions are bad, that's just a place where you can you can save a lot of money, in in real time, uh, and yeah. So I think you know it's it's. Big pieces of recreation equipment, you know, this isn't when when there are downturns, it's just not the time to buy yourself a, you know, it's not the time to upgrade your, your, you know, your boat. Um so, but 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 this to just to be clear, this is not news to the sellers of these sorts of goods. They are well aware that they are selling uh in a very cyclically sensitive uh environment and and indeed i think it's one of the reasons why they were so uh why they were so caught unawares uh during the pandemic because i think the automobile manufacturers like you know they they they, i I think there were a lot of good manu- goods manufacturers who expected demand for their products to fall in the midst of a downturn, and they acted in accordance with that belief, and were totally caught by surprise that no, 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 in this downturn, everybody wants to buy big-ticket items, um, so they're 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 quite aware that things are cyclically sensitive and i am sure that they are thinking hard about this as they as they decide you know how much to make for next year
1: Yeah. And what about those that aren't like aren't used to the kind of the cycles that you're talking about? Right. Like you're talking about big ticket items. But what about I mean, I'm thinking about subscriptions, too. um, And like, you know, we, we saw this with the media companies and like the streaming video, like they had this incredible growth. Like Netflix was just, you know, getting subscribers right and left. And then you know that tailed off. I mean, what are some like you know, how does what does that look like? You know, are people like, I'm gonna cut Netflix? I'm gonna cut my cable subscription. Like, am I gonna cut, you know, going to the movies? Or I mean, I think a lot of people have cut going to the movies, but do you know what I'm saying? Like, where are some of those um pressure points that maybe you didn't see in past cycles, but but we're starting to see now?
2: I do know what you're saying, and I actually think that this is a place where uh the tr- the 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 changes that we experienced during the pandemic might actually be more persistent hmm. and there's a lot of uncertainty. i have a lot of uncertainty and i am confident that that businesses have a lot of uncertainty spending on things like going to the movies going to concerts it's still below pre-pandemic trends going uh to the gym um business travel still way below pre-pandemic trends. Generally, transportation services are below pre-pandemic trends. And it's time will tell whether or not, you know, in the, in the medium-term future over the next 10 to 15 years, if these sectors really recover in a way like the pandemic never happened. Like, I'm not sure what's happening to in-person gyms. Uh, I am not sure what's happening to movie theaters. Um, like, I don't know that I see a day where movie theaters with all of us sitting cheek by jowl, like night after night after night. I'm not sure that we're going back to that world. Yeah, and I am very confident that the the business travel sector is never going to be the same again. Hmm. And I'm pretty confident that uh, all of the in-person businesses that served like central business districts, that's probably forever changed.
1: Like what do you mean? Like the services around there? Like what? What do you? Can you talk a little more about that? Like just you mean the things that are in the downtown areas that you know? Like I'm just thinking about Midtown, right? Um, how how is that what you're? Yeah, I mean, to?
2: That, <laughs> I mean the Midtown lunch places. I mean the people that you know dry cleaned your clothing because we all had to be in the office day after day after day wearing clothing that needed to be dry cleaned. I mean the cab drivers. Um, I am not sure that with all the trends in work from home, that you know the typical central business district, you know those downtown areas, are really going back to a world like the pandemic never happened. And it may be that the world doesn't look like unrecognizable. Like if I walk, I'm in Washington DC, if I walk around Washington DC, downtown Washington DC, it kind of looks recognizable. Like it kind of looks like the pandemic never happened. But if you look closer, you can see uh, restaurants that clearly have the physical space for dine-in only doing takeout. Mm. You can see, uh, you know, hair salons that have closed. You can see gyms that have closed. And you don't need, you don't need the world to be unrecognizable for changes to be big enough to have, you know, significant economic effects. If things are, if business travel remains 5% below its pre-pandemic trend, you know, business, it's like are you're going to be sitting on an airplane on a Tuesday morning going off to a meeting and the plane is 5%. Uh, emptier than it would have been otherwise. I don't know that you emotionally feel that, but I can tell you it the 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 profits of the airline feel that, and hiring needs are going to reflect that, and the number of airplanes they buy is going to is going to reflect that. And so I think that there are a lot of trends that it's going to take years for us to figure out how different the world looks. Uh, are we? Is, you know, is Netflix and all of the other ways that we can consume media at home in the in the comfort of our own living room? Like, is that is that trend forever more affected because of the pandemic? Maybe.
1: Yeah, Um, well, that's fascinating. Um, Wendy, thank you so much for your time. I uh, really appreciate it. You are so welcome. It was a lot of fun talking to you. That wraps up this episode of The Exchange. I want to give a shout out to Thomas Shum, who produced this podcast. If you haven't already done so, please sign up on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you go for audio cravings. Also, check out our sister podcast, The Views Room. And of course, don't forget to read Breaking Views. Thanks for tuning in and listening.
0: This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com symbols.